Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. Today I have, I'm really excited. Andrew, do you say your last name Coates? I always ask people, I'm worried. Coates, I'm, I'm so used to it being like normal, but then every once in a while someone whips out some sort of like weird, almost Spanish sounding pronunciation. I'm like, no, 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 it's just a old Irish, English, newfie surname. Okay, awesome. I didn't screw it up. Perfect. I am so excited to have you on. I have followed you for a while on Instagram and you're a fun one. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. Instagram's a fun playground. It really is. In fact, today I really enjoyed yours. I'm going to pull it up here. Let's (laughs) just talk about, let's talk about this one for a second. Actually, do you speak more to, do you feel like now you speak more to coaches? So interesting question. So I'll, I'll flip it. Are more of your audience enthusiasts or coaches? <clears throat> I would say it's like half and half. I get a lot of coaches following me. All right. So this will be valuable. And I think this whole thing will be useful for everybody. So the post today is really about, and it's philosophical, but it's literal. It's how people on social media will always do this thing. And they'll be like, well, tone is not a thing. It's like, whatever. It's like, it, there's building muscle and there's losing fat. It's like, you're being pedantic. And this attitude is something that's fundamentally wrong with some coaches. And usually it's just a content creator throws up a, a post for some fodder for the day. And it completely misses the fact that we need to get better at listening to the end user and speaking their language. So when someone comes in and sits in front of us, they always do. And they will say, Hey, I don't want to get too bulky. I don't want to get too muscular. I just want to tone up early in our careers. We all have that temptation to go, well, actually tone is not a thing. Uh, you know, you blah, blah, blah. Now you stop, you smile, you say, I know exactly what you mean. And you keep listening. And that is the only correct answer. We do not need to correct people on what the word tone means because we well know what tone means. We understand what they mean when they say it. And this is someone who maybe it's the first time you've ever sat down. We sometimes take for granted just how much effort it might've been for that person to step into a gym setting with a stranger. Maybe they were referred to you. Maybe they like your media, but you're still a stranger. Maybe there's a little bit of trust there. Uh, Maybe it's a warm lead, but maybe it's someone who's just, you're the first person they found. And you immediately turn around and you lecture them and make them feel stupid and wrong about something. You have destroyed your opportunity to build trust. A person is probably not going to stick around. You've embarrassed them. It was tough enough for them to come in the gym anyway. And so it's literally about this example of tone, but it's, it's kind of about the way that we as trainers can fall into traps about going into straight into advice mode, into the, the client says something, you know, they describe a situation and you immediately go, oh, oh, I know the answer. Like, cool. Look how smart I am. Like I'm valuable. And then they tell people what to do for the coaches. How often have you found that when you just tell people what to do and give them orders that they execute perfectly, that one client in 20, the sort of the unicorn, which we all want all the clients like that, but that's not reality. Those people don't even need coaches. They just need direction. Yep. And then for the enthusiast listening, how often have you successfully executed on something because someone just like told you what to do? No, listen, ask questions, get that person to arrive at the answer because most of the people in front of us actually know. They really do know. And when they come to the realization where they're the ones who choose the course of action, on average, people are far more likely to execute, do it consistently, want to do it, et cetera. So I think this is fundamental to coaching. I think it's fundamental to success. I think it's fundamental to relationships. 
It's fundamental to sales. And if everybody would take this lesson, both this literal example, but the figurative greater metaphor, I think we're all going to be better coaches. I think we're all going to have better outcomes. And while the post itself sort of polices what other coaches say, I actually am very opposed to this like pedantic need for trainers to police what the language that other people use. And one of the examples that I embedded within the caption was, let's say, God forbid, someone dares go, some enthusiast dares says on their social media, you know, hey, the gym is my therapy, right? That's a figure of speech. It's well-meaning. And then there are these coaches that I know, and some of them are well-intentioned. But it's like, no, the gym is not therapy. Only therapy is therapy. It's like, again, being pedantic, you know, you're, you're guarding the sanctity of the definition of therapy. No one gives a right? Getting people moving, getting them active is good for our physical and mental health. Um, you know, I really don't think there's many or anybody outside of extreme people who are saying like to not go and actually do like appropriate mental health care interventions. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, you don't have to defend any of that crap and you don't have to attack people for using a figure of speech that is positive about getting healthy anyway. So like stop fighting these stupid battles, focus on the person there. There are all these people who are out there going, I'm confused. I don't feel good. I'm unhappy. Um, I don't like being overweight or or unhealthy or whatever, like part of that spectrum it is. They're confused by the conflicting information that are out there. They are lured by the false promise of easy, fast results and the charlatans that peddle this sort of stuff. And they just want to feel better. They want help. And if you're so damn busy, caught up fighting ideological battles within the fitness space over dumb shit, you're completely failing to serve the person who wants the help. And then coaches complain like, oh, the injury industry is saturated. No, it's not saturated. Your attitude's wrong, right? You are not focused on the highest leverage behavior you could possibly engage in, which is to listen, to be of service, to help, to have empathy. And I think if you do a really killer job of that stuff with the person in front of you, and they're all that matters in the moment, the person in front of you, guess what? That person stays. They get great results. They send other people to come work with you. They get great results. You take all the lessons and then you port these lessons into social media, into a consumable vehicle that people will interact with, engage with. The people who are already there, who you can serve, who like your media, even if you have a smaller following, and then that will happen is they'll share, they'll engage with it, and it will grow. And it will grow gradually instead of worrying about being viral and having like, oh, I... I a lot of people are wired to seek status. They want they want to have large followings and they want all of the things they think comes with, you know, being like, you know, a, 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 an influential person with a big following. It's uh, It doesn't quite work that way. So that's my sort of polite diatribe about the these attitudes that I think people in our space get wrong. And I hope this is resonant for the enthusiast too. And for the enthusiast, it should help you a little bit with figuring out well, where do I put my time and attention? Who should I follow? Who should I not follow? You know, people, again, who are wired to help you, who are creating solutions, who are empathetic, who are listening, uh, not people who are, you know, really sitting in an ivory tower, lecturing, policing what everybody else is doing. And like I said, I know that like what I've said is this example is sort of like policing what some other people are saying, but you know, you got to pick your spots with this stuff. And if most of your media is thoughtful and of service, then I think you're, 
your wedding. Yeah, I love that. I just want to say one thing, like you really do, I feel like practice what you preach because I think the first time I comment, it was like an offhand comment about like a, maybe a story you did. I can't even remember. Or maybe I shared, I think I may have shared one of your posts and I tagged you like, this is great stuff or something like that. And it wasn't just like a thumbs up or whatever. You actually sent me like a little voice message <laughs> and you were like, and you, and in Andrew, you used my name and I remembered that. And I was like, that is powerful. That is a good coach. That is somebody that's making it about the one because I am not on this guy's radar and he just took time out of his life. It was actually really cool. And I, as a coach, I sat there with that and was like, I'm going to be that person. And think about this. So, you know, for context, anybody listening, sure. Like I've got over a hundred thousand followers. Yes. Okay. I know that. He's um, a big deal but, is what he's trying to say. But in the context of this, there's a lot of people message me and I do actually try to send a lot of voice messages. Um, I try to make it thoughtful and personal. I really try to appreciate people. And I've been doing this since very early on. And guess what? It's actually one of the catalysts behind the social media growth is to do this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. right? And you just described its kind of impact. Now, imagine if you're the coach who's got, you know, 500 followers or 2000 followers. Well, you know, you've probably done the exercise before, like, you know, go to a, a, a local club, a nightclub and put 500 people in that nightclub. What does that feel like? It's a pretty packed building. You know, you, you're in front of, there are people who've got 3000 followers and feel like, oh, I don't have a big following. Put 3000 people in a small auditorium, you've got a packed place. Right? So it's just in how you view it. And if you're so worried about all the numbers that aren't there, you're forgetting about serving the people who actually are there, who self-selected to want to hear your message. And if you don't show up and ser serve those people, they will find other people to follow. And those people may not have your knowledge, your integrity, your ethics, the quality of information. So you're doing those people a disservice by not actually serving them or worrying about people who aren't there yet. You serve the people who are there, other people show up. That's just kind of what happens. That's what happened with me. And at least at this point, it's not very difficult to respond to every comment, to send voice messages, to be thoughtful in how you respond to things. And I get it. Different people have different bandwidths. I think some people have to set very firm boundaries around their ability to interact with all of the messages. And there are very smart and successful, empathetic people who I think people like Molly Galbraith is a wonderful example of this. Molly's fantastic. Molly just simply isn't going to take the time to be able to respond to every message because she has clear boundaries and she sends a strong but empathetic message about how she sets boundaries so she can accomplish the greatest amount of things, leverage her time. She's also has a massive legacy in the industry, written books, created a lot of coursework, other free resources for people to help them. Her net impact is massively positive. But if you're the coach who really does want to serve the person in front of you and, and build and grow, then the best thing you can possibly do is to be engaged, empathetic, polite, hear what people have to say. And it really doesn't take much to send a quick voice message. Now, there's an etiquette to things, okay? And I, I like joke about this. Every once in a while, I'll send a six to seven second, quick, polite voice message that uses someone's name. And if I get four one minute long voice messages in return, I'm like, oh, shit, right? Because it's, that's, that's hard. And I find it's easier to scan text. But I also want people to realize it's actually really me and not an autoresponder or a VA. No one else touches my account. It's just me. Then I might politely ask that person, hey, guys, short voice or write things out because I can scan and process text more efficiently. 
And there are days where there's just a higher volume of stuff. I have all the other things, full-time coaching, you name it, that I'm trying to do. So it's, it's just kind of the situational awareness of like, okay, like let's not bomb people with four to five minutes worth of voice messages. And I also don't do that to people either, unless, you know, someone's asking, we already have a relationship and they're asking for, you know, sort of a detailed answer to something. And then I may go into a bit more nuance, but that's a very minor point. It's just funny. No, that's so funny that you, that you bring that up because the same exact thing has happened to me where it's like, oh, it's so much easier if I could scan through this question or all of this information that you're sending me. But so I want to bring up one other thing. I'm curious as to your opinion on this. I've never heard you say anything about this, but you talk about coaches being very aware of what other coaches are saying or other people or other influencers. What are your thoughts on people taking other people's recordings of exercises and then saying, see, this is bad. What are your thoughts? Interesting because it requires nuance. I have several thoughts. I think if the person doing it has a massive legacy of creating and sharing good, helpful information, then that's one side of it. And if the person on the other end of it is a verifiable charlatan or obviously engaging in something that's outrageously stupid, I think you can go in there. And I think if you're still careful about going at the, the message and not the person, I think it can be done. There are people who are building brands, trying to build brands off of attacking and tearing down what other people do. The industry is not always black and white. I engage with some people who I think are well-intentioned, but I think they miss a little bit. Uh, there, there are some people I know, and they'll often put up memes about things. That, and I, and I, I try to be careful about using names, <clears throat> but there, there are some individuals who are well-known for sharing a lot of things I think is, is circus nonsense. And Joel Seidman, unfortunately, is one of the more high-profile ones. Naughty Aguilar is another one. And some of these guys will make memes about these two, and it, it's just clown stuff. And it's funny, and I can enjoy it. Okay. But I also am thoughtful about sharing this stuff. Something that I really don't necessarily like, I've seen accounts that ostensibly are, are ideologically good and progressive and thoughtful, but they'll take some other creator's content that might be a bit off base or misguided. It's sometimes it's not even necessarily like that off base. It's just something to disagree with. And they will aggressively attack and shame and put that person on display in a video. And I find that tactic kind of nasty. Um, again, let's say I, I like using Dr. Lane Norton as a good example. Lane has built a legacy of great information. He's written books. You know, he's been writing stuff, video for a very long time. And Lane's a public speaker. You know, he's got the PhD. He's credible. And he will occasionally take a very high level, credible, you know, verifiable charlatan, like, you know, some of the carnivore MD crowds and put them on blast to make fun of them. And that stuff can be quite entertaining, intermixed with a mountain of good information. The mistake is to think that that is how Lane built his entire brand. And that's all he does. If that's all you do. There's also the trick between a good example of someone who will publicly shame and tear people down. And it's a force for good is Goob, John Dorsey. And he's calling out people who are photoshopping their images, who are, he's calling out like sex predators, child predators. Like we're talking about some really bad people. And he get he very well researched, goes into stuff. He rarely makes mistakes. And it brings attention on really bad people in our industry. So they're fair game. If you're literally messaging 
underage people. Like you need You're to be fair game. I so, love it. Goob, go follow Goob. Goob is actually doing good stuff. And then every once in a while, he'll, he, he takes down a lot of men and women, right? But if he goes after a female, uh, there was something recently, he went after a woman who was preaching body positivity and showing off her cellulite and what have you. But then she was pulling in her waist and, and actually changing her body proportions anyway. So she was completely full. She had a very large profile. And think about how damaging this is for women to be spreading this message and then editing your stuff. Actually, two accounts recently he went after. But the first one, I guess another influencer who engages in a lot of ideological rubbish, put up a, a video that was more n- middle ground, was sort of like trying to be nuanced, but responded to a comment uh, in, an, in agreeing with a comment about how Goob was, Goob was the bad guy because he was commenting on a woman's body. It's like, okay, we, we know that whole thing, but guess what? He's calling out someone who's basically a liar, a fraud, and a charlatan. He's not, quote, commenting on a woman's body. He doesn't target women. He's targeting charlatans. This stuff gets really messy and complicated. So I think if you're going to look at it, you kind of have to look at the pattern of behavior from these people as a whole. I have seen people who try to be like look like on the surface are well-intentioned, but I have noticed a pattern that they seem to do a lot of actual commenting on women's bodies. And then they and what they're attacking is pretty nothingness. And then all of a sudden the girls will fight back and they find it's really creepy that this guy's like commenting on them. And it's not about Photoshopping type stuff at all. It's like about claims that they're making about food or what they're eating in a day or whatever. And then the guy will gaslight the whole situation and freak out oh, and what yeah. have you. And I'm just like, mm, you're so it's, are you dealing with a bully or not? And I think that's the underlying thing. Are you dealing with someone who gets off on shame-based attacks and bullying people? Or is it someone who is actually doing something that's uncomfortable? Like Gooba use an example. He's literally has to go into and investigate situations of like child sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Do you think people enjoy going into that stuff? No, not no, at all. No. So that's dark stuff. You don't live in that because you're like, oh, you know, I found a socially acceptable way to bully really bad people. No, no, no. He's doing really dirty work in order to try to make the world a better place yes. as much as it's like sometimes it's a drop in the ocean. So just look at people's underlying motives. And if you find that people just watch the tribe that surrounds the people who do this. And if you have a really aggressive tribe of people who really love to attack the person on the other end of the thing, guess what? Go attack the child sexual predators. Fuck them. Literally, right? Go after them. But if you got people who are disagreeing over like dietary ideology and the tribe goes in and swarms, watch the tribe because oftentimes these people will collect a tribe of really nasty individuals around them. And I've encountered and seen this sort of stuff before. And they're usually the problem. So complicated thing. And for the coach, I would say, guys, just don't don't get caught in this behavior. And for the enthusiast, watch out for this stuff. Okay. Look for the the true intentions underlying the account you're following. Sometimes it could be very entertaining, but just imagine like if if the stuff that they're policing is pretty minor or just disagreements over like almost like opinion or interpretation of research and the attacks get vicious you may be dealing with something else entirely. So, yeah, no, I really love that. I love the idea of looking for the pattern of the individual. Are they, are they trying to educate or is it just quick and easy? Oh, here's a post. I'll shame this person because I feel like that that's getting really trendy right now. 
if that's all you can make posts about, well, there are a lot of people who say things all the time. You could, you had, you could have so much material just going through TikTok, literally saying they're stupid, they're stupid, they're stupid. It's like, is that really what you want to put out there as a coach? Keep in mind that that will attract a certain type of individual. Do we want to work with those people who are, are like that? Do you know what I'm saying? You, you raise a really good point. Is there a following of people who are more likely to want to work with you? At the end of the day, part of this is to find ways to help more people and to support our businesses. I think some people seek social media following for the wrong reasons. They, they seek status. I talk about this a lot. Humans are wired to think in terms of status and humans are wired to seek status. So recognize that and then like step outside of it and just don't let status be your guiding star. Status can be a byproduct of doing a lot of other good things. If you publish articles for major publications or develop a, a strong YouTube following or a great podcast, or you end up doing public speaking and you just get a great local word of mouth reputation as a trainer, then status will come with that. Sure. And you can enjoy the trappings of that status, but it, it, people get in trouble when they start taking shortcuts to try to go viral first or buy, buy followers to create fake status because they crave it. Well, fake followers aren't going to buy anything from you anyway. And it's fairly transparent and easy and it destroys your engagement. So it's like, that's a bad play. So I, I think people try to go for the social media following and fame first when, I mean, it's easy to say because I've been there, but you should probably be focused on coaching the person in front of you and building that side of success first. I believe you can document and engage with and grow social media with the lessons from your experience in real time. And if your social media following grows as everything else is growing, that's very valuable. <clears throat> I had to play a lot of catch up because I've been doing this for a very long time before I decided, all right, I should probably do something with Instagram. And then well, Instagram did rather well. But I think mm -hmm. it's also backed by the fact that I write for a lot of well-known publications. And, and again, I had a podcast for a really long time and I have deep roots and connections and relationships all across the industry because I've traveled to events for a very long time, which turn into public speaking invitations. And all that supports someone's decision whether or not they're going to follow me. And then there's the practice and study of writing. Uh, like I have a shelf full of books back here on writing. And if you practice that craft, so there's a lot of things people look at the social media and oh, here's a, these Twitter posts, but there's actually like, like a, over a decade worth of like a variety of different study and discipline and experience that coalesces into what I would call skill at capturing a message and sharing something that people engage with. Right. So you, you can't necessarily rush that process. Yep. I completely agree. And when people want, like you said, when people want to buy it or even it's funny, my husband was like, you've never done an ad on Instagram before. I'm like, I don't want to because I want to attract my tribe, people who are naturally attracted to me and my quirky personality. And they're going to laugh along with me, not be judgmental. They're just going to understand me more. And I feel like I want a natural growth. That's what I want to attract. So that's fundamentally wise. I am going to challenge it in a way. I okay. want you to think about this. I love it. Now, I've never used advertising either. I've been fortunate I haven't at this point. There's probably going to come a point where I decide to, but we also can use that narrative to say that there's something bad about, quote, advertising. We could absolutely, quote, boost a post. If you have something, a piece of content that performs really well, that is not, a, advertising does not need to be sales oriented. 
if anything, the most effective advertising is going to be brand developing anyway. If you scale it to companies like Apple or Coca-Cola, right? And you see like the the cartoon polar bears and the Coca-Cola commercials around Christmas or pretty much anything Apple puts out, are they ever really selling you the product or are they creating an emotional relationship with the brand? That's really good, yeah. So when you have content that would be authentically the way you would create something to share with the people who already follow you, um, if it does well enough, then the algorithm may put it out in front of eyes that don't follow you. Is it okay to advertise and push that same stuff out in front of more people? Yes, because maybe that's how the right audience finds you. The people who it doesn't resonate with won't interact with it, won't follow. But the people that, oh, wow, this is great. It may lead them back to you. They may start consuming more of your stuff. So the only real point here is don't necessarily get question the stories and the narratives that we tell ourselves as to why we may not do something because there may be just something that's keeping us locked in a comfort zone or it's a post-rationalization why we're not doing the thing that could help us grow our brand, our media, help more people. It's the same reason why someone would say, well, oh, I'm not going to post on social media because social media is stupid. It's just noise. It's it's for, for influencers, blah, blah, blah. We know a lot of really smart, credible people who've got genuine backgrounds in this who also happen to be quite social media savvy and have taken all that legacy of their work, channel into social media. Look at people like Sohibi, look at Jordan Syed, look at Molly Galbraith, look at Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. There are tons of these people. And no one would no one with a clue would look at these people like, oh, look at the stupid influencer. These are like, these are people who've actually been doing it and coaching people, helping people have the education for real and have done so for a very long time. What if along the way, one of those people created a narrative that said, well, you know, it's all been said before, or, oh, I'm worried that I'll be criticized or I'll be judged or any other number of things that we say to protect ourselves from imagined negativity. When what we're really doing is we're stopping ourselves from enjoying helping a lot of people and enjoying the overwhelmingly positive interaction with the stuff. In all of the social media stuff I've done, you know, Instagram, I've been very engaged with for about three and a half years. And the response, the positive comments, the shares is 99.9% of the total interactions. Yes, as humans, we are wired to focus on and fear the negative more than the positive at a one. It it doesn't work at a one-to-one ratio. But if you actually look at the ratio of good to bad, it's a tolerable ratio. You'll be fine. Yes, every once in a while, someone really nasty shows up and says something awful or stupid. And yes, it can kind of get in your brain if you really allow it to. It will. But you have options. You can restrict the account. You can block the account outright. You can delete the nasty comment. And this is not to say just block and delete everybody that disagrees with you if they have a point. But if someone is engaged in nasty attacks and shame-based behavior and it's just a bully, you're also under no obligation to tolerate their message, their presence, their antagonism. And if it's going to discourage you from putting more things out there, then you're better off blocking or removing that negative stimulus. Again, it's very easy to deal with. We process it. We move on. It will make us tougher and more resilient. And hopefully it gets us to double down on the importance of actually being a positive role model, positive influence for the people that want us to show up and support them. I love it. Or I feel like I need to hire you as my therapist. Just <laughs> my therapist and business coach, Andrew. <laughs> 
I love it. I, I do want to answer something that you sort of asked earlier about like the audience, the, co- the coaches and, and the trainers and whatnot. I do think for most coaches, it is wise to get very clear on who your audience is and to be very careful about speaking to that audience. And for most people, it is the end user. That's true. Mm-hmm. I think fundamentally that should come first. My media goes all over the map. My main podcast is definitely more for coaches. Okay. Lift free and diet hard. That, that one's fun. I have the industry's who's who is guests on great. Even though for a very long time, I've n- never done anything that like, I don't consider myself a business coach. Do I mentor a small handful of trainers? Yes. I allow that to be out there once in a while. It's not a big part of what I do. I definitely don't want to grow into the, this big business mentorship or that coaching space, but I really don't fundamentally try to profit and make my livelihood off of coaching coaches, but I am passionate about sharing my experience legacy of what I've learned, what has worked for me, what I believe works with other coaches, because I have an abundance mindset where I don't see other coaches in my competition. I see it as let's make the industry better. So I believe in giving back. I also enjoy it. I'm very fulfilled by it. And those conversations with my industry friends who come on, it's me getting an hour to hang out with them, pick their brain. It's very fulfilling. So that should make sense. I think most people should probably have a podcast that still serves the person they're trying to serve. Okay. I have a second podcast that's a bit more for the the, the female lifter enthusiast with, uh, we have a women's online group strength program with my partner Bailey in this one. And that's a little bit of fun. My writing for T nation, which is where I really got my start four and a half years ago. It's probably for, um, mostly male strength enthusiasts, coaches, etc. Um, I've written for true coach. That stuff is definitely business stuff for coaches. I've written for a whole bunch of other publications, men's health, muscle fitness. A lot of that stuff is more general population. So it goes all over the map. Yeah. Right. I've written for Generation Iron. That stuff's definitely more for the bodybuilders. Mm-hmm. My media, my Instagram media is probably more for the general population enthusiast. And I think this is the important one. I sometimes will write to coaches, but it's mostly for a broader audience. My audience somehow over the years has become 63% women. And I think on average, women are slightly better fitness consumers. <laughs> but there's been a big shift in overall. Whereas like T Nation and my Instagram audience don't necessarily line up closely. Um, I public speak at events, which is again, almost entirely towards other coaches in the industry. So it's like, this is a mishmash of like unfocused everything. And even I, for years have kind of known this, but what's actually sort of happened is because I serve the end user. I have good standing reputation, word of mouth uh, business locally at Edmonton, which is always taken care of me. It's grown online, the social media. So I have an online business. I have little other little bits and pieces, but all this stuff puts me in a position where I guess I've built a lot of authority and credibility in the space that there are people who have found me locally who found my my media and see, oh, this guy writes for Men's Health Magazine. This guy writes for, for this and this and public speaks. And that means that a very discerning buyer self-selects to work with a coach who's got the legacy of being in the industry for 12 and a half years versus the person who will walk into the commercial gym on impulse because they, you know, feel a certain way. And then they go in and then they end up talking to the salesperson and sell to the first trainer they get who may be incredible. Remember, I was that trainer for a long time in the commercial gym until I started getting entirely fed by referral business. Or maybe that person isn't qualified and doesn't stick around, but everything I've done has led to people self-selecting to want to come and work with me because of all the stuff I've done, which actually does work really well to serve the end person. So it's a, it's not a direct road, but it's worked. And I hope that answers your question. So again, I really do think serve the 
end user who you are trying to help and have most of your media that way. Do not try to write to impress other coaches. Other coaches will be impressed if you do a really great job of serving the end user. That's the key message. I love it. So I love biomechanics. Like that's my favorite. And I made that mistake for a while of breaking down exercises. I mean, because it was a passion of mine and I loved it so much, but it got to a point where when you, like you'd have to be a coach with a background in physics to know what I was talking about. And so I was shooting myself in the foot. Does that make sense? So I'm like, totally. the, it's, it's the people who start talking about moment arms and some of the other literally, physical. That was the next on word. Social media. Yes. Yeah. That was the and next that, that word out of my mouth. Example. It's like, listen, I've done university level physics. Okay. And even I like when people start whipping out language, like moment <laughs> arms, I'm like, I start getting confused. Right. You know, this stuff, I, I think it falls into eight. Hey, we can nerd out about it and we like it, but I think we also fall prey to trying to sound and look smart to our clients and other coaches and seek the approval of the other coaches. Guess what? There are a lot of coaches in the industry who follow me, who like what I do. Because I speak through my social media to the end user, you know, as opposed to because I'm trying to court and cater to those people. Um, and I've had some of the most successful and smartest people in the industry who are friends of mine share my media because the media is something that serves the end user not because it's something that is a really great technical soundbite for other coaches. Right? And then we can have these kind of conversations, which often end up serving the coach. Yeah. But I do think that sometimes clients have felt a little, kind of like what you said, you have such this large background in fitness. And like you said, to all of these different areas, of fitness, whether it's bodybuilding all the way to the other side of the spectrum, general pop. So be, I think some people probably trust you because of that. And I have seen that with my account, some people will trust me a little bit more because they're like, okay, you know, you can speak to the depths of coaches, but you can also break it down and make it easy for me to understand it too. And that's the key. And I think if you do the latter well, it buys you latitude to play around with the former, which I think is the key, right? So it gives you room to create resources and sometimes speak to the coach. As long as people clearly see that you are of service to the end user first and foremost. And yeah, it's, it's, it's part of trust. It's part of developing a relationship. I really don't think there's anything wrong with doing some things that serve coaches. But I think if everything is serving coaches, unless that's literally your target audience, which I think very few people do well, and the people who do it well are people like, I've just had Pete Dupuis on my podcast, and he's co-owner of Cressy Sports Performance, or my friend Luca Hosevar, or, or some of the other people in that space, but they're still gym owners. They're still very credible. They have a documented track record legacy of success for a long time of doing well in that space, and then they as a side to everything else, they are also mentoring other coaches. They have a tremendous amount of credibility in that space. If you are a coach who wants to follow people who are smart in that space, go follow Luca Hosevar. Go follow Pete Dupuis. They're both good friends of mine, and they're smart guys. For example, Jill Coleman. For female coaches especially, Jill Coleman, I recommend very highly, uh, and she's going to be a great person, both her media and her mentorships, to help women primarily 
build businesses, especially like online entrepreneurial type stuff. Jill is amazing. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. You wrote an article that I really, really loved. Um, it was in Muscle and Fitness. And I I wanted to spend the whole time breaking that down, but I've loved our conversation up to this point. So no regrets. But it was five surprising reasons why you're struggling with workout consistency. Oh, I love that one. I'm actually going to do a talk on that same thing. Okay, I'm going to link it in the notes because I think everybody needs to read it. But I, I'm just going to throw, what if you could speak to one point, is there one? <laughs> Underlying it all is the story. There, there is a story, a narrative, a post-rationalization as to why we do the things we do or don't do the things that we feel like we know we're supposed to do. So underlying all these things is to just question the stories and the narratives. One of the things was, I, I, I don't have enough time, right? Like that's a classic one. And, you know, I know what to do because I did it when I was younger, but now, and, and I will do it when I have more time, which is a rubbish thing. It's actually just a justification not to be doing the thing. And, and Alex Hormozzi has a great quote about this too, and I'll paraphrase it. But ultimately, if you train yourself to only start when you find the time, you're admitting and fundamentally training yourself that when you get busy again, that you'll stop. So it's important to start when you're busy, make the time, set, a, set it as a true priority. And then in future intervals, when things are tough, it's, it becomes an, an, an entrenched habit. We are just really good at crafting narratives to alleviate our guilt, shame, discomfort around different things. Um, another one of the principles was like the people around you are sabotaging you. Hey, we got to recognize that. And that can be tricky if it's a spouse or partner you live in the house with, but in a workplace environment, what happens? You start talking about, oh, I'm on a diet or I'm on a workout program or whatever. And all of a sudden the office donuts come out a little bit more, the office pizza. There's a, oh, live a little because you and doing this thing is making some of the other people around you uncomfortable. Some of them will be inspired and they're going to want to jump on, but some people, they don't like things that make them highly aware of things they don't like about themselves that make them feel shame, make them feel guilty. So most people won't change and change the thing that they don't feel good about. So what they'll do is they'll consciously or subconsciously attack and try to remove the stimulus that's making them feel uncomfortable and feel shame. And how do they do that? By trying to create an environment that sabotages you and your efforts. And if they can sabotage you, then the stimulus goes away and they can go back to the complacency of not having it rubbed in their face that they are not happy about their how they feel, how they look in the mirror, their weight, choose your whatever, because they're not ready to make changes yet. And if you recognize that potential, you can establish boundaries around it. You can have hard conversations and you can be more firm in your resolve, anticipating these trouble spots. So go read the article. If anybody has any questions about it, please message me. I will respond to everything like we talked about. I'll probably send you a voice message and I'd be happy to answer your questions. Okay. It is such a good article. I went through it and was like, I've got to do a podcast on this. And I'm like, well, why don't I just have Andrew talk about it? Well, <laughs> sorry, we didn't get more time on this one. No, and it's okay. Yeah, it's sort of a packed, condensed day. I've got clients the rest of the day. I just had a few podcasts. So, but I'm glad we got this chance. So I loved um, it. Everybody listening, guys, I, I like doing this. So Lindsay goes out of her way to put this together. It takes time out of her schedule. She's not paid to do this stuff. If you're a regular and loyal listener, then go do something kind. And all it is, is just to go and 
give a five-star review, especially if you've gotten a lot of value out of this. And I would say, share this with someone in your world that you know you feel like it would really help, especially if it's helped you. You already believe in it. It's easy for you to refer it. And then that's how Lindsay grows and gets to do more of what she's passionate about and be of service to you guys. And then if you're one of my people who has found this podcast through me, uh, just take a scroll through Lindsay's other guests. You may find some of my other friends in the industry on there. You might stick around. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you so much, Andrew. We'll talk to you later. 